Good morning. Well, my name is Terrence Little, and I serve here as ministry's pastor, and it's a joy to be here today. I invite you all to pray with me. Our Father and our God, we come to you today weak and broken, and we stand desperately in need of your power, of your truth, Lord, and of your spirit living in each and every one of us. Your word teaches us that your scripture never returns to you void, but it always accomplishes that which you send it out to do. We pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Consider the story of a well-known insect. It's a story I'm sure you've heard many times, and you may have even witnessed the biopic of this small and seemingly insignificant creature. We first meet this insect in tiny egg form, and later we encounter the caterpillar emerged from its egg and crawling about with a long body and lots of short, stubby little legs, feasting on leaves and plants. The caterpillar, you all, is an eating machine. It's eating and eating and eating as it grows until one day the feasting ends. When the caterpillar is full grown, uh, and an odd behavior occurs. It spins a cocoon, a chrysalis, around itself. And sometimes as you're out and about in the yard doing yard work, you can see the chrysalis hanging from tree branches or bushes. Something amazing is going on inside that chrysalis. A fantastic change is occurring. The creature you once saw crawling about becomes something different. The stubby legs become six long legs. Long antennae emerge. And the most astonishing feature of all, beautiful, colorful wings. At the right time, at the right time, this creature rises. Through great struggle, out of its cocoon, the same creature, but incredibly different. The same creature, but incredibly different. It has been changed. Our passage today looks at an incredible transformation that is promised to all who believe in Jesus Christ. But in order for us to understand that transformation properly, we must first see how 1 Corinthians 15, our passage, fits into the grand story of humanity. We have two points today, just two. The first, the reality of the final chapter, and the second, the victory of the final chapter. Number one, the reality of the final chapter. We're all part of a story. 
Whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all part of the grand story of human history. At McLean, we like to talk about the four-chapter gospel. Well, what's that? The four-chapter gospel is the grand biblical overarching narrative of all human history. Chapter one, creation, the beginning of the world and the universe. God designs all things for his glory, and he makes this world for us. You ever stop and think about that? I mean, it was made just right, just right for you and for me. God gives one clear condition for our living in this world. Live according to my word, to my instruction, and you will live forever. If you don't, Death is the consequence. Chapter two, the fall. Our first parents chose the opposite of God's instruction and death entered the world. And it affects each and every one of us. Chapter three, redemption. The chapter about good news, about the person and work of Jesus Christ for us. Chapter four, consummation. Children, you have learned that. You've learned this term. It's posted around the church. Restoration. Consummation, the glory, the new heavens and new earth. It is the chapter when all things will be made right and righteous and good and new and God's justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In the consummation, the Bible teaches us the dwelling of God will be with humanity. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul elaborates on the fourth chapter, consummation. And he particularly focuses on the new body of the believer in Jesus at the resurrection. Verse 50 begins with a difficult statement, a hard statement, a statement whose understanding requires knowing the grand story. Paul says in verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? What does he mean by flesh and blood? Remember chapter two, the fall. The fall gives us the context for verse 50. Death and brokenness has entered the world. Flesh and blood are made equivalent to what Paul calls the perishable. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. It's, excuse me, the imperishable. It's incapable. Corruption cannot inherit incorruption. And inherit, remember, means uh, to receive an inheritance. The perishable. What, what is the perishable? That which is subject to decay, to corruption, to destruction. Rust, rust is a good example of metal perishing, decaying, rotting. Pastor JT and I went and picked up a trailer for the Reston Church uh, earlier this week, and part of that trailer came with a chain. 
And we brought it here, and then uh, I think it was a few days later, we had to go pick up some other things. And I noticed as we were hooking the chain up to the back of the truck, that beautiful, pristine chain in two days began to rust. The perishable, the withering of flowers and plants is another example of that which is perishing. Flesh and blood is our current state of life. As human beings, our current bodies, these bodies we wear now, come from the first man, Adam. And here I want you to hear this. This is very sobering. This is a sobering message, you all. We are perishing. We are indeed aging. The gray, the white hair, the changes with our skin and appearance, This is evidence of chapter 2, the fall. The perishable cannot, all caps, cannot inherit or receive the imperishable as the perishable. This body in this condition is incapable of receiving the kingdom of God, that which never perishes. Something has to happen first to this perishable body. Richard Pratt, one of our mission partners and the leader of Third Millennium Ministries, he writes this, unless a person receives a resurrected body of a different nature, he or she cannot receive the full blessing of the gospel. We have need of a great change. We have need of a great change, which leads to our second and final point, the victory of the final chapter. The victory of the final chapter. Paul has mysterious good news in verses 51 and 52. He describes a mystery. Everyone will not die. That's the point. You read sleep, but sleep's just a metaphor. So please don't go around teaching when we die, we sleep. No, it's, it's the imagery of when we die and we're, you know, we see bodies in caskets, eyes are closed. It looks like you're asleep. The point is, Death has occurred. He says death is not going to affect everyone when Christ returns, meaning Christ is going to return and some people are still going to be alive. He says, though death will not affect everyone when Christ returns, everyone will be changed. Everyone will be transformed God will change all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. God's going to alter your bodies and they're going to be immortal. Immortal. God will make you and me imperishable. You'll never grow old again. You won't die anymore. You'll never get sick again. You and I will live forever in the better body that Pastor Ryan mentioned last week. 
We shall all be changed, the apostle writes. The change is going to be instantaneous in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The change is going to occur after the sounding of the last trumpet. You can read about the last trumpet in the book of Revelation chapter 11. It reveals the consummation of all of time in history and the glorious judgment where God will make all things right and evil will be abolished forever. The trumpet will sound. That's supposed to be emphatic, meaning this. Let this lodge in your mind and memory. The day of reckoning is coming. God's day of reckoning is coming for each and every one of us. These are words of comfort and joy for all who believe in Jesus Christ, and they are words of warning and repentance to all who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Paul says the dead will be raised imperishable in verses 52 and 53. The dead, all who have died, the, 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 the spirit has left the body. The body has been commended to the ground. All who have died will rise again. They will be resurrected. Soul and body will rejoin. They'll rise, we'll rise with a new body. The old body will be changed at the resurrection in the last chapter, the consummation. The perishable, the decaying must be changed. This body must put on the imperishable. Well, what is the imperishable, Paul? What are you talking about? The imperishable is a body impervious to corruption and death. No more decay, no more withering, no more aging, no more sickness, no more failings of our minds and thoughts, no more Alzheimer's or dementia, no more greed or hatred, no more lust or bitterness, no more adultery or theft or jealousy, no more murder. Hallelujah. Believers in Jesus will be raised with an imperishable body, a body ready to receive the fullness of God's new creation. Paul teaches in verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. In all good stories, in all good stories, there are certain structural elements that have to be present. The introduction, the rising action, the climax, the falling action, the resolution. In the last chapter of history, the consummation, which is actually the beginning for us of eternity and the glorious rest of the new story. The great resolution of our human lives occur in the last chapter. Death will be swallowed up in victory. The Bible says that death is the last enemy. It will be vanquished, abolished, nullified. The resurrection for all who believe in Jesus Christ means life as it was meant to be, but even better, 
You will no longer desire to sin. You will no longer be tempted to disobey your creator. Your loves will be forever pure. Death will be nullified in verses 55 and 56. Notice the questions Paul poses to death in verse 55. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? They taunt. They challenge. Bear with me here, if you please. Have you felt the touch of death in your life? Have you witnessed death's reality? Walking to the cemetery, have you felt the heavy sense of the finality of the grave? I'm talking to everyone in here and online, whether you believe in Christ or not. Has death snatched away a loved one? Have you wrestled with the incredible waves of overwhelming loss due to the reality of death? Did it seem to you that death won? Does it feel like death has the victory? When death has touched your life, do, do you ever think, this is it? This is the way it's going to always be? I have nothing to look forward to. There, there is no hope in this situation. I have felt those waves. I know them well. I've wondered, Lord, Lord, is this all I have to look forward to, this consistent veil of tears where loved ones are taken, friends are taken? I have lived long enough now, you all, to know this, the Bible is absolutely true when it teaches us that death is the result of sin in our world. I have experienced the reality of Genesis chapter five where there is a phrase repeated over and over and over throughout that whole chapter, and he died, and he died, and he died. When my father passed away, I was with him, and as we were driving back up the road, my brother and mother in front of me and my sister behind me, I was looking out and just thinking, and it dawned on me, death is the result of sin. I worked with children at a children's home who came from incredible brokenness, sin in the world. Four of those Teenagers are now in eternity. Sin in the world. We miss the mark of the standard of God every day. And the penalty is death. God does not play with sin. Paul says the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. And here I'm gonna ask you to forgive me, church. I do not say this flippantly, but I want you to hear this. We live in a world of fantasy and we need some reality. The reality of death is supposed to hurt. 
because it is not natural. We were not made to die. We were made to live. That's why it hurts. We were made to live. But we move to verse 57. (laughs) We have good news, and I'm going to try to contain myself. God gives us the victory, Paul says, but... God gives us the victory. Paul taunts death in verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory now? All right now. Oh, death, where is your sting now? The apostle boldly addresses death with extreme confidence. Paul no longer fears death, and this is why. That first word in verse 57, but. (laughs) But thanks be to God. I can remember my dad preaching many times, and and, and as he would close his sermon, he always came back to 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us undeserving people, hallelujah, the victory in Jesus. God gives believers in Jesus Christ the victory over death, and you and I will live again in the resurrection at the last chapter of the gospel, the consummation, in joy and happiness. The Spirit of God teaches us today through Paul, Jesus Christ became a man to endure death one time for you and me so that we need never fear death. Jesus Christ became a man and lived in complete obedience to the Father. Why? Because you and I cannot do it. We break the law daily. We are perishable. We are broken. But Jesus is the perfect man. And because of that, he was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus chose a humiliating death, death on a cross, so that when we come to our hour of death, We can have confidence in our future. Jesus chose a humiliating death on a cross so that you and I can be raised in the resurrection with an imperishable body. Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day to secure for you and me a faith that will one day become sight the Bible says. Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day and is seated in heaven right now so that you and I can have complete and total assurance that we have a life and a crown unfading, an inheritance reserved by God Almighty that will never perish. Jesus Christ rose again for you and for me and for that family member that you have that you think they can never be saved. Jesus died for them. He rose for them. Jesus rose again for your neighbors who think that you are absolutely delusional. Jesus Christ rose again for Asia, for South America, for North America, for Africa, for Europe, for Australia. Jesus Christ rose for the nations. Amen, amen. Jesus Christ is the victor, and he is our victory today. Today, Jesus wants you to know that you can have life everlasting in him. 
It is the believer's confidence, and it is the unbeliever's good news. We will all stand before God one day, all of us, even those who think I'm off my rocker in here today. It's all right. We will stand before God Almighty, and the only way we will live in victory over death now and for eternity is by believing in Jesus Christ to be the one who gave his life as the payment to God to pay the cost to cancel out, cancel out your and my sin debt and avert the wrath of God which we deserve. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Be you believer or unbeliever, run to him daily. Run to him daily. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, our King, our Savior, and our brother Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, thank you, O oh God, for loving us Thank you for your gracious and merciful patience with rebels and ungrateful people like us. Thank you, O oh God, for giving us Jesus Christ. Father, teach us to hold on to you with the great confidence that you hold us fast and forever. Triune God, you are our hope in life and death. Seal this truth on our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you all to stand as we confess our faith from the Heidelberg Catechism question number one. Christian, what is your comfort? And what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen.